0: Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. You know, one thing I've been asking guests is whether they're optimists or pessimists about the future of work. I am an optimist, but I do think to get to a good future, we're going to need good leadership. If we're going to get through the pandemic with our organizations intact, our workers engaged and ready to take on the world, it's going to really take leaders taking charge and leading. But the question is, what does leadership look like right now? Leadership, as defined by the rule book we've tended to have in North America in particular, may not be the way to go you know we've tended to think about leadership as taking charge and giving directions and you know being the leader of a team that tells people what to do we haven't thought a lot about people's emotions and you know even saying that I know people are thinking that's a little bit touchy-feely that's not really how you lead companies and yet maybe now with the pandemic, It's the time to think about how you lead companies and how you get the best from people. So I'm really excited about the guest we have today. That's Mark Crowley. He's an author and a podcaster and speaker, and he's all about leading from the heart. He's going to talk to us about why his own background took him to this place where he believes that this is the way to go. And he'll also talk about the pandemic. And why when we come out of this we could be in a better place but we better make the right moves right now so really interesting discussion please stay with us Being a good leader has never been an easy thing to do. But during the pandemic, we've added a whole new set of challenges to do it well. Leaders are making it up as they go along. They're forced to direct without really knowing what comes next, and to reassure while being uncertain themselves. So how can they do that well? Well, our guest today is Mark Crowley. He's the author of Lead from the Heart, Transformational Leadership for the 21st Century. And by the way, that book consistently ranks as an Amazon Top 100 bestseller in workplace culture. It's being taught in universities as well. And you might also know him from his own podcast, Lead from the Heart. Now, Mark has had decades of experience as a senior leader himself, and now he shares his experiences with audiences and executives, talking particularly about the way that those who intentionally engage the hearts of their employees will be rewarded with performance and with achievement. He joins us now from La Jolla, California. Hi, Mark.
1: Hi, Linda. Thank you for the lovely introduction.
0: Well, you have a lot to talk about in terms of your background. You know, before we even get to the lessons for leaders today, I'd be interested to know how you got to this place because you didn't start as a thought leader. Where did your career begin?
1: I, 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 I'm amused by the word "this place" because I don't know, <laughs> I don't know where that is. But um, honestly, it, this, there's the big picture is is that uh, I, I think the universe has been. Uh, had a plan for me the whole time because um, I, I will, I'll give you the quick answer to your question and then we can explore whatever you'd like to go into. But uh, I was raised with a very um, abusive upbringing, let's just say that, that ultimately landed me out of the house by the time I was 18. And it happened very quickly. I wasn't prepared for it. And I went off to college without any... Financial support or emotional support. Uh, frankly, never saw my father again until about 15 years later, when he was ready to pass away. And it was a very difficult time for me my whole life with the psychological and emotional abuse, and then being kicked out of the house. And then I got into management. Um, you know, actually, you know, figured out how to make my life work. I got through college. And when I started managing people, I unconsciously realized that I had been so deficient in so many things that would have helped me be more successful that I ended up giving people what I always wanted, which honestly translated into making them feel safe. I never felt safe. Uh, Making them feel that I, I knew who they were, that I cared about them, that I wanted to see them grow and thrive, that... Uh, I always had their back. If I was unhappy with them, I would tell them so they didn't have to go home on a Friday night worried that their boss was unhappy. Um, And so from there, um, I just kept getting promoted. I just kept getting all these great opportunities. And so I hired this woman. Her name was Cecilia. Cecilia and she worked for me i she was such an exception exceptional employee that i kept making sure that she came with me wherever i went if that was possible and so she worked for me um, three or four different times but over a period of 20 years and we were having a conversation one day and she said you realize you manage people very differently right and i think I was just having a glimmer that this was true, but I honestly had never really compared how I was managing compared to other people. I just thought everybody managed the same way and I was getting good results. So I really didn't question what I was doing or how I learned to do it. I just did it automatically. So I said, well, what do you mean? She started pointing it out to me and it became very clear to me that what I was doing was completely different than what everybody else was doing. And so I, I asked her, I, you know, tell me, give me examples. And so by virtue of what she shared with me, I then said, okay, so I realize now based on a friend of mine who's known me for 20 years, that everything that I've been doing is tied to this you know, this, this very bad upbringing childhood experience that I had, that I did all of this unconsciously. I gave people what I always wanted and never got and always believed would, would have made me infinitely more successful. So in some sort of spiritual experiment I gave people what I always wanted and they thrived. And when she confirmed to me that it was not only working, but that it was unique, I thought, well, I'm just going to really explore this. So I started testing it and seeing if I could refine it all with the intention of just becoming a better leader. And then uh, I had was managing a couple thousand stockbrokers, one of the largest financial institutions in the United States. I've been named leader of the year. I took this firm that I had no expertise in running and made it gave it its most profitable year in its 25 year history, and then the the organization itself failed and was sold off. And so, in the process of that, I stayed with this company for six. It's a very well-known organization, one of the largest um, banks and financial service uh, service industry um, in in the United States, and um, everybody knows who it is. But I won't name them because they were so dark in the way that they managed people. I couldn't take it. I just thought I'm not staying here. So after six months, I ended up leaving. And I thought, what am I going to do? And I thought, you know, I'm going to teach what I've learned. But in the process of teaching what I learned, the long and short of it is that um, I realized I actually had something really compelling to say, that I had been affecting people so deeply, so importantly, profoundly, that they scaled mountains for me and so in the process of writing what i thought was going to be a book that just outlined the practices that cecilia had identified you did this you did this and this was the outcome i want to teach those things i took an extra year and a half and did research and found out that there's all this incredible science that's showing that the heart actually is a feeling sensing organ that has huge influence over uh, human decisions or human motivation, ultimately engagement, that the heart and the mind are working together. And it's not just the mind. We're not just rational beings. We're, 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 you know, feeling creatures, if you will. And so when I say lead from the heart, I'm not talking metaphorically. I'm talking literally. I'm saying we have to pay attention to how people feel because this is really the future of leadership. We've been doing it all wrong. We do things that make people feel fear and unsafe and threatened. And you know, if you don't hit your goal, something bad is going to happen to you. And we, we may have to do layoffs. You know, We're always keeping people under some sort of degree of pressure. And it's actually the more care, the more support that we give people, the better off they are because they're experiencing these positive emotions. So long well, answer to your question, but it, it was a lifetime of experience that got me where I am. And I needed to have that lifetime of experience to be able to say the word heart in the context of leadership and not be rejected or just depressed or, you know, or quit Because people say, well, that's complete bullshit. Nobody leads with heart. Everybody knows that's wrong. You know, and that's kind of what I've been faced with for many years is that we instinctively think this is a weak idea. And it simply isn't, not only because I've proved it with my own direct experience of managing people in different levels and different education, male, female, you name it, and saw the same outcome. But because the science really has it, uh, you know, support. So, It's not just like I woke up one day and said something and people went, oh, this guy's interesting. This is, you know, entire career of experience that finally got me to a point where, where I think I put the pieces together in a very different way.
0: Interesting. It's interesting and remarkable that you've taken something that was negative and made it positive. Because I think in the workplace, we often find people who are unhappy or come from a negative place taking it out on their employees. And we see it throughout organizations. Now, pre-pandemic, what do you think, it's an unfair question, what do you think the culture was in North America? Do you think there was starting to be uh, an acceptance of that kind of lead from the heart mentality? Or do you think that the fact that we had the economy going the way it was and we were relatively successful was perhaps not making us open to that?
1: I think it's kind of binary, to be honest with you. Um, I, was, I spoke um, last fall in Dallas, and Stephen M.R. Covey, Stephen Covey Sr.'s son, was speaking in front of me, and we were behind stage having a conversation. And he goes, have you ever noticed that the people that hire us to speak are already on board with what we have to say? And I was like, you know, it was no epiphany for me. I had many, many times thought that, you know, that the people that I was talking to were already completely convinced that this was the future. Um, And the good news is that you want to go where you wanted, but we really need to change and we need to get the organizations that resisted to come on board with this. And so I think that's kind of where I feel my work is. I want to go to the companies that really want to hear this because they're excited about it. They know it's the truth. They want to go and hear from somebody to talk about how do you actually make it happen in an organization? What are the, what are the details? What are the practices? You know, to get into the, to that sort of granular nature, that's exciting for me. But so too would be to go into an organization and say, if you'll just trust me on this and try this, um, and not have cynicism around it, you're gonna find that it drives extraordinary success. So I think what happened pre-COVID is that a lot of these companies, like when when we found out that engagement was so low in America, it's truly low all over the place, but really bad in America. I think what the companies that, what they tried to do was to make some quick hits, you know, extra snacks, you know, who knows, you know, s- symbolic things that really don't go very deep, don't change how people are managed. And they got a lift from it because it's like, oh, that's cool. You know, so now all of a sudden it's like, well, we don't have to do anything about engagement because people are excited about the kombucha that we're giving away for free. <laughs> you no. Know? And so I think, it, I, you know, if I sound cynical, it's because. This is what people do. You know, it's like if you don't really want to change, you're going you're gonna to create some impression that you're at least trying, right? You're not just, you're not doing nothing. And so for a while, that holds up. It creates the illusion to people, oh, this company's near hip, they're cool, they're trying to do good things. But deep down, they're really not. So I think that's where we were pre-COVID.
0: So now we do have COVID and you can't even get the snacks anymore because you're working at home and all the structures that everybody relied on aren't there anymore. What's, what are the first set of challenges you see? And then we'll talk about some of the longer ones, longer term ones for leaders.
1: Uh, you know, the first one is playing out right now, uh, which is that, you know, it- there's this, there's, in the real estate community, there's this there's, there's this attitude that this has worked perfectly, that we took people and we, you know, said quickly leave like a fire drill and go home and start working and we'll figure it out. And because of that, it became sort of this like noble challenge for all of us. You know, we're going to figure it out, we're going to make it work, we're going to find some space where I can work and I'm going to get my job done. And so people did it. And so now all of a sudden the real estate community is saying, well, let's start selling off all of our buildings and imagine the money we can save. And people are really happy working from home anyway. So this is a win-win. And I'm like, wait a minute, you are jumping the shark here in the biggest possible way. Because I don't think that it's I don't think that it's really true that people are doing as well as we think they are by working from home. Certainly there's a percentage of people that figured it out and they have the space and they're not interfered with with children or you know having having to do, you know, help kids get through their schoolwork, which is what was going on. It's just a whole different dynamic. You have people that are living in apartments, they have roommates Uh, all of a sudden, your husband or your spouse is home with you. And you're like, wait a minute, like, how am I going to make all this work? So I think people stepped up and they made it work. But long term, I think people miss their connections with other people. And really, I think what also is a very big thing here is that when your life is disrupted like this, you need a rock, you need a leader who cares about you, who's concerned about you, who, what they're picking up the phone and they're calling you, you know, I'm calling you Linda and I'm saying, you know, where are you on this project? I need to know. I got to get this thing done. Tell me, tell me what your, what what your update is. The first thing that managers need to be saying in that conversation is, is this a good time to talk to you? We just to think that people just moved home and they're working and they've set up an office and you know, nothing else is going on in their life and that is just not it. So really it all boils down to the fact that what people find, find in these circumstances is they need a boss who cares about them, who knows what's going on in their circumstances, who's concerned about those circumstances, makes accommodations. Oh, you're teaching your kid until nine o'clock? Okay, then we're not going to have any meetings until after nine. Now that sounds, you would not make that accommodation when people were working in the office, but making it in in this world is a very thoughtful kind but it's also realistic one of the theories of not theories but one of the, one of the key parts of my whole thesis is that human beings are hardwired to reciprocate so what that means is is that if you're home and you're struggling you're, you're you've got a spouse at home you got kids at home you've got challenges of work workspace and if you don't have a boss that is thoughtful and Keep in touch with you, seeing how you're feeling, you know, concerned about you as a human being, then your reciprocation is going to be very similar. You're going to be indifferent. You're not going to want to, you know, the extra work to help that boss conversely if you have a boss that calls you and says i'm just seeing how you're doing how are you feeling how are you coping is anything you need is there anything that i can help you with and people what they're just like thank you for like being humane and caring about me and the reciprocity pops in where people will do anything for you so i really believe this is why leadership why engagement is so low is because people when they get the score in front of them and they're asking, how happy are you here? What they're reflecting on is indifference, superficial efforts to make them feel valued and that they mattered, superficial efforts to help people grow, superficial efforts to make people feel really, truly nurtured. And then when the grades come out, managers are like, I can't believe it because they've never really told me that because it's so deep inside of people it's not something that you really express it's something that you feel and when you're looking at that scorecard and you're saying you know do i feel valued here it's like this this energy that comes up from inside of you and it's either yes or it's no and the yes comes out when people are made to feel that way and it has to be consistent and so you have to have a caring boss in order for all of this to play out and i think that the covid environment has made that critically important to people, critically clear. So all those managers that couldn't get on board with this before, man, were they tested. And I think some of them have sort of probed this on Twitter. And I think some have, some figured it out, said, okay, I've got to lead in a different way, but many haven't. And so when this is all said and done, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be looking for new jobs.
0: Interesting. Yeah, this may be a bit of an aside, Mark, but I'm interested on your t- in your take on this. Do you think we're asking too much from work? We're looking for it to be our community and give us value and give us our friends. Is that realistic? you think it'll last?
1: Yeah, I do. Because, well, I mean, we're, I, I, don't know, I, I met my wife at my job. I've met my best friend at my job. Um, I think it, you know, we spend. If you, if you go back to the days when we were working in offices, when we were working with people, right, when we saw them every day. You're spending, you know, at least ten hours a day, including lunches and breaks and stuff, right? And you're seeing those people for fifty hours a week. You don't have fifty hours a week anywhere else to go out and develop the social relationships. So I think. Um, You know, and interestingly, one of the things that Gallup has discovered is that one of the greatest drivers of engagement is the belief that I have a friend at work. Um, So, you know, somebody you can run down the hall to and say, hey, you know, my husband just got laid off or my son's having trouble at school or I'm having a bad day and somebody there to help keep you going. So. I, I don't know where else you would get those. So unless we don't return to an office, if that never happens and we end up working remotely, I think um, ask we're asking a lot of work because it's simply where we spend our most of our lives.
0: Yeah, I'm interested to see how it will change though in future. I mean, I say this as someone who's worked from home mostly for several years. You do tend to create other structures. But generally speaking, you know, it has been about work being a... I say a family, but certainly an important organization to everyone. So you know, the other part of this is even if we do go back to offices with more, perhaps freelancers and more gig workers, do you see that changing things?
1: Well, I think what's going to happen is it, we have to get our social connections somehow. Um, and this is, you know, when you, if you've ever felt lonely in your life, that's the heart saying, get outside and go be with people. So when you have this feeling of loneliness, it's sort of this gloominess, like I need to be around people. And I think a lot of people are feeling this right now because they can't see their friends. They can't go socialize. They can't go out to restaurants. Can't go to, you know, all the things, go to concerts and things that they might do just to be with friends and experience friends. And so I think what we're going to see um, almost certain is that, you know, by the end of the year here, if we're still doing this work from home here, we're going to see a rather significant incline, increase in mental illness. And when I mean mental illness, it's going to be depression and anxiety and stress and those same feelings of loneliness. I think we need that human connection and we can't go very long without it. And i that's really what we're all being deprived of right now. I don't know if you've noticed, but in conversations with people, if you, you know, if you you call somebody and you just sort of want a quick answer and the call should be over, you kind of got what you needed. And then all of a sudden the person is going on and on and on. And you're like, what's going on here? It's desperation, you know? <laughs> People are like, now that I have you on the phone, Linda, I just want to talk, you know, and it's a human experience because we're not getting that, we're not having that fulfilled completely the way we needed to, which is why I believe we're not going to go full-time remote work. Um, First of all, most people can't, most people don't have jobs that would allow it, but for those that do, uh, I think people just need to have that human connection and they're going to want to go back to offices, at least part time, in order to get it.
0: Okay, so we have the situation where you have workers at home and you have a lot of unease, worries about the pandemic, worries about the economy. What's your advice to leaders right now?
1: Care about your people. Um, so, you know, it's not to say, I think what happens is that sometimes managers go, I'm going through financial difficulty and I'm working at home and I've got my kid at home. And so everybody should just man up the way I'm manning up. And I think it, it's really different. I think like I sort of mentioned this a minute ago that what pe- people are really looking for is somebody to be a stand up, somebody to be their rock and that should be their manager. In my opinion, that's the, that is the person that can make the difference. And So that just means getting to know the person. What, what are their circumstances? Do you have enough space? You know, do you have roommates? Do you have, you know, do you have the right equipment? Do you have privacy? Um, are there challenges in terms of when you work best from home? Right. Because it's still your home. Right. And so just to say we're going to transport your nine to five to nine to five at home doesn't always work for everyone. Um, and even if it did, really the answer to your question is just be there for people. Show that you care. Find out what's going on. Just be an ear to them. Like we were talking, sometimes it's just having a conversation. One of the guests that I had on my podcast um, made this comment that your span of control as a leader is defined by, or at least should be defined. His name is Ashley Goodall. And he said, it should be defined by the number of people you are capable of having a one-on-one conversation with, regularly scheduled conversation every week. And I love that because it really aligns to what I believe is more important. It's more important to people to know that their boss just wants to know how they're doing as opposed to where are you on these things. And we get so focused on those things that when we get off the call, the person's like, God, you didn't even ask anything about me or anything what's going on with me. And after a while that wears on people. Conversely, if you do it, I was talking to somebody the other day in Portugal and he was telling me that he uses 80% of his call to talk about all the different projects. He's got a big like website design and those kinds of projects. And he's got a team all over the world, actually. And so he says, you know, I'm, my time is precious. So 80% of my conversations with them are, where are you on this? What, how are you going to get this done? You know, what, when are you going to deliver me this? And he goes, then I use the last like 10 minutes to see how they're doing. And he goes, how do you feel about that? And I said, I'd rather you do it the inverse. <laughs> Start the conversation out first. How are you? What's going on with you? How, just tell me what's going on in your life. know and if they have family and kids ask about that demonstrate that you know who they are and that 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 matters to you and be willing to have a conversation with the kid my son's struggling with this he hasn't seen his friends in a while some managers are like looking at their watch like why do i need to hear this this is nothing to do with me and i'm saying it matters to people that you care like that um so it's finding out how people are and demonstrating that you are supporting them in every possible way, showing it in very thoughtful ways and amplify recognition. Thank people a lot because this is a huge sacrifice that people are going through. And even though you're not responsible for it and your company's not responsible for it, it just feels good to have somebody say, thank you. I know this is stressful. I know this is challenging and you've done wonderfully and I'm grateful. When people hear that, it just... it has an effect on them that is indescribable.
0: You know, I think arguably managers are being a little nicer right now. Companies are being nicer. They realize people are dealing with their kids and working from home. Do you think that that will be one of the lasting results of the pandemic? Or do you think we're going to go back to where we were?
1: Well, it's funny. It's a it's a wonderful question. Um, and I think that, it, it, by the way, it's not really niceness that I'm talking about it's 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 authentic kindness and care it's demonstrating that you know me think about me and um, and you show it to me in many different ways like I know Linda cares about me and that that's meaningful to me right so um, but I think that while managers might go back and say well now that we're back in the environment i can go back you know back to the workplace i can go back to the old ways the other thing that's happening here is that with a less commute time with the non-commute time and the i don't have to put on a dress and makeup or you know i can work in my sweats and you know people have a lot more time to think and what i think has happened is that um, we have allowed people now four months of time to really reflect on, am I happy at this job? Am I doing the work I'm supposed to? Does this boss care about me? People are thinking about this all over the world. So if they go back to a job where a manager or an organization reverts to the old ways, in an economy where there are jobs available, right now we're having to work through you know the mess that COVID created, but in a normal world, people aren't gonna stay. They're gonna reject that. They're going to demand to be managed in a much more caring way. Nobody on this planet is more grateful for COVID than I am because I believe it's forcing managers to lean into heart. And when they see the response it gets from people, they're like, wow, Like. You know, I was just, I just called them just to see how they were doing and I can't believe the reaction I got and that feels good. And so you want to do more of it. And that's the behavior that I think, you know, is just the starting point for where we have to go, but it's an important one.
0: Mark, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: You're very welcome. I enjoyed it.
0: Mark Crowley is the author of Lead from the Heart and he's also the host of the Lead from the Heart podcast. Well, that's it for today. If you want to know more about Mark and his work, you can find it in our show notes. You can find those on RelentlessEconomics.com under podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed listening to work in the future, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's really going to help other people find this podcast and join the conversation. And don't forget to subscribe so you can get the next episode just as soon as it's released. If you want to connect with me, I'm at at RelentlessEco on Twitter. This podcast was written and produced by me, Linda Nazareth, and huge thanks go to Andrew Stokely of Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future, and to see show notes, go to the dot com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast dot com. The Work and the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.